a really wide spectrum. So um, probably you're all going to go away disappointed because there's no way I can get everything put into one message. Uh, there's so many definitions, so many variants, uh, and creeds and colors and codes to the thing. So what I'm going to try and limit myself to is what Christian feminism looks like. And um, I'm going to start by highlighting four of the most common views within Christianity in the role of, uh, of women and things like that. Um, it will be a very rushed explanation, but, uh, and maybe the first bit will maybe feel a wee bit more like a lecture this morning than a sermon. But the plan is to do the theory, then quickly move on to the reality, and then finish with the ultimate reality. Okay? So theory, reality, ultimate reality. Fingers crossed. So, complicated graphic to start off with, but here is roughly what I, how I see feminism looking like. You've got four different colors to it. You've got Christian feminism on the left, egalitarianism, where the bulk of it is about just being equal, complementarianism, that says women are uh, equal value to men, equal to men in that aspect, but distinct in, in role and job. And then you've got the patriarchy, okay? So you've got that kind of broad uh, sort of spent. Now, you'll notice, though, that at the top, those arrows says biblical Christianity doesn't go the full way across. It doesn't go the full way across because when you go to the extreme edges, you, I think you go beyond really what biblically holds up. But for the most part, if you're in that sort of middle bit, we may disagree with things, but I think you can still be... Um, interpreting scripture. So at those edges, you've got extreme interpretations of half-truths, um, and it leads to an underdeveloped approach to scripture, an understanding of scripture, where either you believe that women are weak and they're to serve, which is wrong, or you then go to the other side and believe that men are evil, which is also wrong. Both extremes are wrong. And, of course, all these things, even within these circles, within these borders, there's overlap. Uh, and some will be on one side of the circle, some overlap. Uh, so, really, I just want to show you kind of maybe roughly where it looks like. So, we'll start with feminism. The argument for Christian feminism stems from a real emphasis on the word justice. They'll seek equality in everything. There is no uniqueness to man and woman. There's no distinctiveness. And they will often be okay with like radical um, ways of balancing everything out. And even if it means putting men uh, down and um, actively doing injustice towards men to balance it all out. Um, everything has to be 50-50 ratio. Even if that means the best people for certain jobs and positions miss out because every committee, every board, it should be 50-50. Um, similar to what the PSNI tried to do, remember, you know, sort of whenever they, they had to have 50% Catholic, 50% Protestant in their uh, recruitment. Um, that's very much the kind of same line of thinking that the feminists would go down. It has to be 50-50. It doesn't matter if the best men miss out. They only get half. They only allowed half. Now, they'll go back to Genesis 1, and they'll say that men and women were made in the image of God, that there is no difference. Um, but the danger is that when it's taken to the extreme, any distinction that you make between man and woman is the tyranny of man, and it's misogyny. And uh, what happens then is, as a result, a lot of the Bible is treated with skepticism. So it's not uncommon for a feminist to say, look, the Bible is written by men, for men, to empower men. And so a lot of the Bible is about how to control women by men. 
Um, and so a lot of Scripture then would have very little authority for them, um, uh, mainly stories, metaphors, not to be taken too seriously. Um, and often even within that category, uh, feminists will say, look, we are pro-abortion, we are pro-choice, because, hey, it's the woman's body and the woman is of supreme value. That's the extreme. And much of what uh, the average person would say, well, I'm a feminist, I, I'm for women's rights. Actually, what you'll find that most of it is really covered in egalitarianism, this, the, the other circle beside it. But let's go to the other extreme first to just show you how extreme both are. When we go to the patriarchy, again, it's an oversized, overemphasized truth. Women, you know, stay at home, just raise the children. By the way, if you're a stay-at-home mom, that's perfectly fine. It's a wonderful calling. It's a beautiful calling. But I need you to know that scripturally, it's not your only calling, okay? But the patriarchy will say, oh, no, 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 it is definitely your only calling. And uh, they will take verses like what's on the screen out of context, and they'll say, look, you always have to be under authority. And they will misread that very often, and they'll say that man was for, uh, sorry, that woman came for men. Not men for women, but it doesn't say for, it says from. It's talking about creation, it's talking about the order of things in that sense. Um, but very often there'll be overlap with almost like Islamic theory there, where, you know, women don't have a right, they, don't have, they shouldn't really be outside, they always have to be under the authority of, of man. So when they're growing up, it is their father or it is their brothers who are in control. And then when they get married, well, then that authority transfers over to her husband, and she's always secondary. Now, it's all obviously wrong. It's, it's a nonsense that that is not what Scripture says. So let's just move on. Feminism neglects men. The patriarchy ignores women. At their extremes, they are both wrong. Right, that sh it should be obvious to everyone. Both are wrong. So let's get to the middle two sections. And, and I'll confess, I'll put my cards out on the table. I'm a complementarian. I believe men and women complement each other. And so that's where I am. I'm putting my cards out on the table. But let's, um, sometimes I'll be egalitarian about things. Sometimes I won't be. And uh, for example, Valentine's Day. Um, the, the pressure is perhaps on me to maybe do a wee bit more and expect a wee bit less. That's not how it is, of course, in our family. But that's generally, but what I will do is, you know, I've got two daughters. Sophie's six, Bethany's three. I'll buy them a bunch of flowers. Now, I, would I do that if they were boys? No. So am I treating them differently because of their gender? Yes. Is that by definition sexist? Yes. But I'm okay with that. So I'm not totally about equal rights. I'm not totally, because I am making distinctions, but it's not about worth. It's not about value. And so I, I still believe in chivalry. I still believe in being a gentleman. I still believe in those things. And there's biblical theory that backs that up. But basically, that's why I am where I am. Okay? Now, there are good, godly people on both sides of this, whether they are egalitarian or complementarian. Um, and you know what? We'll all be in heaven. We're not going to be falling out with each other over it. Some of it is cultural. Some of it is about the strengths and weaknesses, perhaps of certain couples in husband and wife. Some bring different strengths to the table. Some of it is about circumstances. It's not worth getting bent out of shape over. But it's maybe just good to understand where you are and why you are where you are. So let's deal with egalitarianism. It's good theology, but it falls a wee bit short. 
Um, they'll say that women can preach and teach and perform any role in the church that a man can, and the roots of that argument are in Scripture. Now, that's the key difference to feminism. Egalitarians are people of the book, and I'll never fall out with someone who is a person of the book. If they're wanting to root things in Scripture, we, we'll be fine. If we're open and honest about what Scripture is teaching, we'll be fine, even if we maybe don't agree. So what makes them different to the feminists is that they will be happy with male leaders as long as it's coincidence that the, the leadership who happen to be all male are the best people for the job. They don't need it to have a token woman in there to balance it out. They don't need to have 50-50 ratio just to make it look right. All they want to know is are the best people doing the jobs that are there and if it happens to be men, so be it. If it happens to be women, so be it. All they need to know is that the door is open to them that the best people can get in. So it's not based on ratios, it's based on merit. It's egalitarian, it's equal. Which I think where most people, when they say, oh, I'm a feminist, I'm all about women's rights, really that's what they're saying. They don't want doors closed to them because of their gender. So that's maybe really where they are. The focus is on oneness, like Galatians 3. There is neither male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. So what they'll maybe say is the difference between man and woman that the patriarchy see. So verses like 1 Corinthians 11 and others will say, look, it's because of sin. Because of the way it happened in Genesis, then there was a disorder, a twisted order that came out. But because of Jesus, because of the cross, then it has been returned to normal. And there is no longer distinction, but everyone is equal in Christ. And they'll point to the prominence of amazing women in Scripture, like... Uh, uh, Esther the Queen, or Deborah, or Miriam, or Priscilla. And verses like Ephesians 5, uh, 22 to 33, that talks about uh, men loving their wives like Christ loves the church, uh, and, and the women submitting to their husbands the way the church submits to the Christ. They'll say, look, that's not really about marriage. That's really about the church. And it was using a, uh, a sexist community to, to teach a higher truth. I'm just trying to give you the arguments here, okay? I'm not saying that this is right or I'm not saying that this is wrong. I'm just saying these are the arguments that they put forward, okay? Um, so I'm just trying to let you see where, where they resonate. Let's go to the last one and then we'll, we'll go back to, to feminism specifically, okay? So complementarianism, the idea that the rules and men of men and women are of equal value but are distinctive, but they complement each other. So everyone trying to do what men are supposed to do is going to be bad. Everyone trying to do what women are supposed to do is bad. But men and women performing the roles dovetail together beautifully to make it richer and better. That's the idea. So there is distinctiveness but dependency. Um, and even within this section that I would subscribe to, there is a spectrum. There is, there's a spectrum even through this. But going through some of the verses that groups will use, they'll use Genesis account and they'll say, look, men and women are both made in the image of God. We say amen to that. Absolutely, of course. There is no distinction. There's no prejudice before God. They are equal before God in moral dignity and value, have equal access to God. We get saved the same way. We pray the same way. We relate to God the same way. There is no prejudice in God and how he deals with us, whether he made you male or female. Uh, there's no distinction. God is not going to treat you differently because of your gender which means that we also have to look then at the ramifications of that. Are women given spiritual fruit? Of course they are. 
Are women given spiritual gifts? Of course they are. So that means then they should be equipped for ministry as well. Women are to be encouraged and equipped and empowered to serve God and minister to others and have an active role in the church. Of course they are. But I believe that our roles are designed to be different and complement one another so that each benefits from the other. And so, yes, I agree with the egalitarians. We need more Deborahs in our churches. We need more Miriams. We need more Esthers. We need more Abigails. But what I would also say is that when you go through all the Scripture, there is one job that uh, no woman ever held, despite all these amazing women, and that was the role of priest. That was a role, an office separated specifically for men. So we are equal, but there is a distinctiveness there. What I believe is that God has given men the responsibility to lovingly and tenderly nurture his family. So husbands, your job is to help your wife thrive spiritually. That's what it looks like. It's not about ruling over. It's not about oppressing or suppressing. Uh, But your job is to ensure that your wife, your daughters, reach their potential in Christ, that their gifts are developed and nurtured and, and, and are used for the glory of God. That's our job, even to our expense. If it requires sacrifice on our part, then that's what we have to do. When you go to Ephesians, Sacrifice doesn't come into how the women operate, but it does for the men. There's a distinctiveness. So, look, I agree with egalitarians in creation theory. We'll look to Genesis and we'll say, look, it's not good for man to be alone. I love that. He didn't give Adam a Labrador. It wasn't just company that he needed. It wasn't just a pet that he needed. It was a helper. It was more than that. And uh, last Sunday we saw that that word is a word that God gives himself. Psalm 46, that, you know, we read that God is a refuge and strength, a helper in times of trouble. God sees himself as a helper. Jesus, when he was talking about the Holy Spirit, come and says, I'm going, but I'm going to send a helper. So, so it's not a lesser title. It's not a smaller title. It's not a secondary title. It's a godly title. And the problem is, and we'll get to this in a minute, that, that so often then it's our interpretation of these words. <coughs> that suppresses women. But actually, it's a godly thing. The rules are equal, but they are distinct. And when you stay in Genesis, the ar- if there is an argument for anyone being weak, it is the men. God looked at a perfect, flawless, sinless world, looked at the trees, yep, they're good. Mountains, yep, they're good. Oceans, yep, they're good. Stars, yep, they're good. Adam, uh, It's not good for you to be alone. So even whenever we were perfect, we still weren't perfect. That should be humbling. Which is why we need someone to compliment us. It's not a lesser contribution. It's a distinctive one. It's essential because we're insufficient for ourselves as men. It's like talking about men and women who's better or who's, it's like saying well what's better a kettle or a toaster well it all depends what you're trying to do toaster's no use if you're going to try and boil water in fact I'd really not recommend putting water into your toaster and your kettle's not going to be great at making a slice of toast you can't 
start talking about which is more valuable. What you can talk about is how good they are at doing the roles that they are designed to do. Not better, different. Uh, and scripturally, both are essential for the other to flourish. So we both serve God. We both serve and bless each other. Uh, and the children that are in the church and the children that are in the home Husband and wife complement each other, bringing out different things to the table for the enriching of the other. And that's where I put myself. I can't put myself into that egalitarian circle because I believe in the distinctiveness. I believe in chivalry. I believe in being a gentleman. I believe in those things. And wherever you want to put yourself, unless you're at the real extremes, no one's going to fall out with you. No one's going to think that you are any less of a Christian or whatever. And the truth is, the truth is, as rushed as that's been, unless you are at a place where you have no love or respect for the other gender, where you cannot treat them as equal in the eyes of God, you can't treat them like a brother, you can't treat them like a sister, if you've got no respect for them, unless you're in that place, which is wrong. It's really all about circumstance. It's really about personal opinion and what category you fall into. It sometimes varies topic by topic. There are some things that I'll have conservative views about. I am pro-life. I believe in, in the distinctiveness of people, but there are other things that I am liberal about. Equal pay, equal vote, of course. Of course is really the egalitarian view. So it means if, look, if you've got different views to me, and, and, but you've got biblical views, look, don't fall out with me this morning, please. I'm not going to fall out with you. As long as you affirm equal value and worth on all people, regardless of their gender, their race, their religion, even their sexuality, I'll not fall out with you. We may disagree sometimes, but it's not something that will make you less of a Christian in my eyes. Now, that's the theory. Let me get to the reality. If you're struggling to go towards the left or towards the right, towards the center, where it goes beyond simply about equality, where, where you're coming from, it's more than about equal pay, equal say, equal promotional opportunities you're coming from a place of hurt or you're coming from a place of abuse or you're coming from a place of kind of radical revolution, whatever it is, what I'd say to you is you need to remember society is wrong about women. I contend that women are more used and abused today than at any other time in history. Pornography turns women into objects where peeping toms and leer at them from their screens. Throughout the world, women are traded in modern slavery. Men routinely use women for non-commitment pleasure, leaving them pregnant without care or support. Abortion right groups aid and abet our selfish irresponsibility, and they, in inverted commas, free, liberate women to murder unborn children. Women are, as a consequence of this, are left alone, emotionally scarred, financially destitute, experientially guilty and ashamed. 
and abandon. And where's the promised freedom in that? Where's that freedom that feminism is supposed to offer? There's brokenness. There's hurt. And yet I would agree that our society does need to change as well. The institutional sexism in many companies needs to be corrected. Two people doing the same job should absolutely get the same pay, have the same promotional opportunities. That should be obvious. So society is in the wrong again. It needs to change. It's wrong. There are problems that need to be addressed, and there's problems that are being created unnecessarily. From photoshopping celebrities and giving body image issues to trafficking, society is on the wrong side of this in what they are doing or in what they want to do. But let me add this. The church has been wrong about women as well. Unfortunately, many of the wrong opinions in society that we've brought, talked about, invade and saturate themselves in the church. And I think many women's experiences of church down through the years have been one of simply sitting quietly, even whenever they could contribute something, or they're just told, look, you just go serve the tea or go look after the children. That's all you can do. That's all you're allowed to do. And yet, if that's the attitude of anyone in church this morning, then please, you have not paid attention to the woman of Scripture. You have not paid attention to the woman that God has put in front of us that has said, look, emulate these people, follow their lead. Women are, these women are incredible, and I've mentioned some of them already. Leaders like Deborah, who, who led armies and was a judge. They led nations like Esther and stood down kings. They were the smarter than most of the men in the room, like Abigail. Sorry, correction. Smarter than all the men in the room, like Abigail. They were gifted and entrusted with the most vital work in the church. I think of the woman at the tomb on Easter Sunday, told to go and be the first witnesses. Go and tell the disciples. Go and tell the apostles, I am risen. Or you've got Priscilla in the early church who Paul sent around several churches to offer stability and wisdom with her husband, Aquila. And I think having two daughters pulls me more in one way than if I had two boys. I, you know, it, it happens. Um, I, I want to show them strong women in real life. I want my wife to be a strong woman and for them to see that. I want them to see strong women in the church. I want them to see strong women in Scripture, that God values strength in women, that it's not a case of being a strong, independent woman in the world or being a doormat in the church. That's not the choice. And I'm, okay, hands up, I'm guilty of falling into stereotypes sometimes of a dad with daughters, where I'm very obsessed with making sure to tell them that they're beautiful and telling them that they, why they are and in what way they are. And when they dress up and put on Ruth's really expensive new makeup, I say, oh, you're gorgeous. She's going to kill you, but oh, you're gorgeous. But also how their acts of kindness towards each other are beautiful as well. And I want them to treasure Psalm 139 that we read earlier on. And I want them to just own verse 14 that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you for making me wonderfully complex. It's amazing to think about your workmanship is marvelous. And I know it full well. And I want them to know it and be confident that God made them who they are and they should delight in who they are. Be thankful for and be in awe that God made them unique and is ferociously for them and will not abandon them and has a plan for their lives. 
And I want them, yes, to be confident with their bodies, comfortable in their bodies. I don't want their happiness to be rooted in something superficial like appearance. First Peter tells us, look, don't be concerned with the outward beauty of hairstyles and jewelry and beautiful clothes, but you should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. I want my girls to know that what's on the inside is far more important than what's on the outside. And that what is on the inside is, is from God, just like the outside. Society has got it wrong about women. And I think historically, some, a lot of the time, the church has got it wrong about women as well. But what I would also say to a feminist is, aim higher. The obsession with what men are doing, what men are achieving, what men are earning is toxic. Stop aiming so low. Stop aiming so low, but rather I'd say look to God and seek to be like Him. Look at how He loves those around Him. Look how He forgives those who go to war against Him. Look at how He displays strength and tenderness in equal measure. God often shows masculine qualities. We speak of the Father and the King and the Lord of angel armies, the Lord of hosts. But when you look carefully, He also expresses uh, the qualities of a mother. The father and the prodigal son shows motherly qualities. There's no mother in those stories because God represents both. Or like Jesus in Matthew 23 where we read, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you weren't willing. And Jesus says, I'm just like a mother who wants to hold and protect the vulnerable, helpless children. Don't put more value on the masculine and cheapen the feminine. It's all from God. We see that both men and women are made in the image of God, distinct, dependent, but equal. And in looking to God and seeing Him for who He truly is, I think the most crucial of things can be realized. You cannot blame anyone else for the emptiness that we feel inside. Blame men, blame men, okay, yeah, that's what happens a lot of the time. I'm empty because I'm oppressed. I'm empty because I've been held back. If I was free to achieve success, monetary success, social success, career success, then I'd be satisfied, then I'd be happy, but I can't because of men. I can't because of my father. I can't because of the patriarchy. But the ultimate reality is that when we look at the world through a wider lens for a minute, children suffering in Africa, famine, tsunamis, murders, violence, there's this moment when our eyes are opened when we realize that the world is broken and it's full of broken people, not just broken women. And what is good is that there is a desire for more. There is a desire to try and make things better. And sometimes we live with this assumption that the world's proven that every day it's just going to get better that what we can pass on to the next generation is just naturally going to be better than what we inherited. But so often it's just out of reach and we'll say, okay, well, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow it'll all just kind of click in the place. Maybe it'll all just work itself out. And I wonder how many times we have to keep telling ourselves that until we start to realize that there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that tomorrow's going to be better than today. We can't keep waiting for some other time to address the issues. Now, there's four. There are moments of bliss in this life outside of Christ. 
Can you stay in those moments? Not for very long. Not for very long. And there are times before go to places that we find comfort for ourselves. Uh, the first one is in ourselves. You know, we look at social media accounts, we look at Facebook, we look at media, we look at all the different things, and we say, okay, right, well, they're happy. It seems to be working out for them. So what I need to do then is I need to change myself. I must be the problem. So I'm going to make myself into a better version of myself. I'm going to make myself a more attractive version, a healthier version, a richer version. And so we look awesome in the mirror. We've got our six-pack, we've got our muscles, we've got uh, cash to spare, we've got all these extra things. And yet we find then that we're still not happy. We're still not quite happy in who we are. By the way, the most popular books in the world are self-help books, which is really depressing. It's not Shakespeare or Chaucer. In years to come, they'll be looking back at the biggest selling classics of our time, and it's, we're going to be embarrassed. It's not going to be Wuthering Heights or Animal Farm or Sense and Sensibility. It's going to be six-minute abs. And we're going to have to own that as a culture. But it doesn't work. And so we say, right, well, maybe if I can put people around me, that'll help. If I can find myself a good husband, if I can find myself a good wife, if I can find myself these people, then, then I'll be satisfied. But listen, guys, women are terrible gods. They are not going to fulfill that need. They're not going to do that for you. They're not here to serve you. We've been talking about that. What I would also say is the women, men are worse at being a god than you are to them. I mean, I, sh- I shouldn't even really have to explain this. Ladies, does your husband put his clothes in the hamper? What about dishwashers in, in the dishwasher? Or do they kind of just go in the zone, you know, the sink around the area? How long did it take you to, for him to put the toilet seat down after he's gone? And this guy's going to be your savior? This is the guy who's going to meet your deepest emotional and, and physical and spiritual needs. Guy can't rescue you. Can't aim right. But the expectation that he or she could, re- is that's only going to bring pressure and stress to a relationship. It's not going to work. So we're unhappy in the world and ourselves. We try to fix it. We try to improve ourselves. It doesn't work. So we look to others to try and find them uh, and hopefully they can make us, uh, satisfy us. But that's not working. So we go to the third option and we find stuff and experiences and we try and fill our life with gadgets, the, the, the car, the lifestyle, the holidays. But those highs don't last because the gadget's only good until the new one comes out. The TV's only good until the slightly bigger one with, this, you know, with the 8K graphics when it comes out. Or, or or the holiday only works until we start planning for the next one. It doesn't last. It's a cycle that never ends. And so what happens is normally people come to the fourth one reluctantly and say, okay, let's try religion. Religion is the worst out of a lot of them. Religion's terrible. I hate religion, just so you know. Religion is, is an evil thing. See, people throw themselves into religion because nothing else has worked. And so they think, well, if I can clean myself up, if I can put on a a good enough show, uh, if I can earn a sense of being on good terms with God, if I can get rid of that feeling of guilt in my life, then, then that'll be good. The problem is it's backward. Instead of changing the inside and then it reading out to the outside, what Christ does, religion will say, okay, let's, let's change the outside to do away with the guilt that's inside. And so we'll say, look, if I can be good enough, if I can improve myself, just like that first point that's up on the screen, then, then um, God owes me. 
He'll have to be nice to me if I pray. He'll have to be nice to me if I go to church. He'll have to let me into heaven if the balance is kind of tipped on my favor. And if I'm good enough, I'll earn that right. Of course, how good is good enough? Who gets to decide if you've been good enough? Do you decide? Does God decide? Because God says that there's none righteous, no, not one. So the four ways of trying to find satisfaction, the bad news is that none of them work. Sorry, none of them work for very long. None of them work for very long. And I'm saying this to show you that the problems that you're facing don't come from circumstances or society, but something deeper. We're looking for the answers in the wrong places. The real issue is the heart. And when we turn to Romans 5 in our Bibles, it says that when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Say, hold on, Jeff. Okay, utterly helpless? Me? It's a wee bit much. Say, no, actually, that that perfectly describes me because I'm trying to find lasting joy and lasting peace. And I can't, no matter what I do, no matter where I try to find it, no matter what happens, I'm helpless to, to fill this void in myself helpless to get rid of this emptiness. So this is the gospel. This is the good news that we spend so much time chasing after things to find peace and satisfaction that can't rescue. Maybe the easiest thing to do is just blame it on men. Blame it on someone else. It's it's someone else's fault. It's not my fault, but it's circumstances. But pointing the finger just gives you that get out of jail free card. Oh, I'm empty, yeah, but you know, it was men's fault. That emptiness would still be there regardless. You could have everything that this life would offer and still never be satisfied. But that's why Christ came. He died to give us a life that's satisfied. Our sin separates us from God. But sin comes with a price to pay, one that we could not pay. We were utterly helpless to pay that price of our sin. And that's why Christ came. He paid the highest price possible to give me personally, you personally, a life that satisfies. Psalm 107 has the answer for us. Instead of complaining about the dissatisfaction that you feel in this life, why not come and be filled? Why not come and be filled? The one who meets the need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it feels like we've covered an awful lot of ground this morning, and and I pray that that the right messages have have got across, Lord. And Lord, my, my prayer would be regardless of people's views on various nuances. and Lord, my biggest prayer would be that where we go to find satisfaction, where we go to find joy, where we go to find peace, where we go to find meaning and substance and, and, and confidence in this life is not in the world, is not in other people, is not even in ourselves, but in you. And so, Lord, I I pray, strip strip everything else away, Lord. Strip everything else away, Lord. That we might see inside ourselves 
infinity of God who is great in kindness and mercy and love. He's quick to forgive and quick to restore and quick to fill and to meet the need. Lord, I pray. Speak into hearts this morning. And Lord, in an issue that could very easily get people upset and get people annoyed because they don't quite like the emphasis that I've put on things. Lord, I pray that in, their, in this moment, Lord, that you direct them towards the cross. And we just we pray that we could linger there this morning. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Folks, we're going to just go into a time of communion now. So I'm going to ask...